I'm back in Sensible Medicine. And I'm here with my friend and colleague, Dr. John Mandrilla. And you've been waiting for this episode. We have a lot in store for you. We're going to talk about RITA2, randomized control trial of stenting, or medical management in chronic stable angina. We're going to talk about whether or not Republicans die more from COVID-19 because they didn't get vaccinated. And we're going to talk about those hard-hitting editorials in JAMA and the New England Journal about why doctors need to fight climate change and who knows what else we have to do. Probably put a man on Mars or something like that. John, it's great to see you. John, it's great to good, see you. Good to see you. We had a little summer break, but it's it's good to be back in session. School's back, so we're back. School's back, so we're back. Yes, it's good to be back. All right, where do you want to start? Do you want to start with the Republicans? you want to start with the stenting? Or do you want to start with uh, these journals and their desire? Let, let's start with the... Let, let's start with the less... Well, I don't know how. Let's start with Rita too. I wanted to okay. tell everybody about this study. I was going to write about it, write about it on the Sensible Medicine um, study of the week, but we can uh, we can prove we can uh, talk about it. So this was, I've been I've been writing about um, coronary artery disease and the treatment of coronary artery disease and these surprising studies which shows that fixing focal blockages in the coronary vessels don't lead to improvements, which is really counterintuitive and, and still really, I don't, I don't think widely applied in practice. But one of the things that, why did this all get started? Why was there so much momentum? And I wanted to show everybody this study, which was called the RITA2 study, Randomized Intervention Treatment of Angina. This was published in 1997, long time ago, and it was published in the Lancet, top journal, right? And this was a thousand patients done in multiple centers in, in the UK and Ireland. Uh, 500 uh, patients got uh, P, uh, angioplasty. And in those days, this wasn't stenting. This was just angioplasty. Um, and 500 patients got um, uh, drug therapy and they had stable coronary disease. And the primary endpoint was really good, right? It was death or MI. Right. And it and it turns out uh, after about well, three years, uh, six, I'll read it, 6.3% of patients with PTCA, angioplasty, died or had an MI versus 3.3% with medical care. So the absolute difference was 3.0%, uh, uh, a huge absolute increase in death or MI. And it, and, and it doubled. It was a 100% increase, right? Okay. Right, Relative right. is massive. Absolute is massive. It's all they don't, massive. They don't tell you that. Yes. They just use absolute differences, but the, this would be like a, a hazard of 2.0, two, uh, 2 basically. Yeah, 2.0, right? yeah. yeah. Double. Okay. And here is the conclusion. In patients with coronary artery disease, suitable for PTCA or medical care, early intervention with PTCA was associated with greater symptomatic improvement, especially in patients with more severe angina. Quote, when managing individuals with angina, clinicians must balance these benefits against the small excess hazard associated with PTCA due to procedure-related complications. So that is crazy. You didn't even know about this. I had never seen this, and this blew me away. What you're basically telling the listener is, they neglected to mention the primary endpoint in the conclusion. They neglected to mention that it was statistically significant and double the risk. And three percentage points is massive. And what they mention instead is some bullshit secondary endpoint that is not as important as being dead. I mean, what are we talking about? It's crazy, John. 
But I've never seen is it. it. Why is it a bullshit endpoint? Because half the group got PTCA and half the group got tablets and the groups knew their assignment. Everybody knew the assignment. It was an unblinded study. So of course, angina uh, and, and symptoms would improve. And, and, but yet I just think that yeah. um, I've and actually written yeah. co-authored a paper on spin. Spin is, spin is when uh, authors uh, try and deflect, um, deflect uh, attention from the primary endpoint when the primary endpoint is either, is either non-significant or like this gone the opposite way. And I think this is one of the greatest examples of spin in the medical literature I've ever seen. And of course, a paper like this in the Lancet uh, helps create the therapeutic momentum behind revascularization. I just find it shocking. I was blown away by this because I'm used to their usual spin cycle, but this was beyond uh, even the usual spin cycle. That was unbelievable. Um, you don't want to mention the name, but I have to mention that the corresponding author is Stuart Pocock, who is the great statistician who I believe is the same guy who, no, it was Richard Pito in that, that ISIS study of uh, Sagittarius and Capricorn, but he is a legendary statistician and he signs his name on this thing. This thing is terrible. It's a spin cycle. I mean, you doubled the risk of death. That was your primary endpoint. That should be front and center. Now the Kaplan-Meier curves are horrific. It looks really bad. Um, <laughs> I don't know what to say. I guess, I guess spin has been going on for a long time, John. That's what it tells me. Yeah, yeah, I think that I mean I just think it's a learning experience to to look at this. And now, you know, the authors will say that, you know, the difference was only one death uh and seven MIs and and it was all early. It was all early it, it was all early and related to the procedure. But again, you know, this comes up with some other procedures in cardiology and and maybe in oncology too, whereas if if it's not fair to look at outcomes three months after the procedure, right? So you, 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 a patient, a patient has to consider the problems with the procedure. The other thing that proponents of revascularization will say is that, well, stents are better and uh, technology is better. We have drug eluding stents and all of this stuff. But again, I don't know. I, I just don't know what the Lancet was thinking, what the authors were thinking to, to put this in paper, because, uh, I mean, the primary endpoint has got to be the primary mm -hmm. endpoint. You own everything that happens after randomization. You don't get to say, oh, but the first three months don't count. I mean, you own those endpoints, too, because some people are experiencing events in those times. Um, you know, it really goes to show you, and I think on a prior episode, we were talking a little bit about... Um, that Calgary study, Massachusetts masking, and now the letters to the editor are out. And we sent a reanalysis where we just changed the date range. We didn't look at some districts in Massachusetts. We looked at all the districts in Massachusetts. And the entire conclusion of that paper, that masks slow the spread of COVID-19 in kids, was flipped on its head. It doesn't slow the spread. And I mean, we even got a signal in some analyses paradoxically might increase, which I don't think is true. I just think it doesn't do anything. Uh, New England Journal refused to publish that. Um, so, you know, journals are not the gold standard. I mean, I think that's the, that's the takeaway. They weren't the gold standard in 1997. They're not the gold standard today. They play games to suit the preferences of the authors in the community. And, you know, they're trying to craft a narrative and this is crafting the narrative that stenting is good. Angioplasty is good, not stenting. I should say angioplasty. There's no stent. Right. 
but the other thing that's the other thing that's really interesting about this, I, I want to get your I want to, you, you know, you say it's not the gold standard. I want to push you on that. But the other thing is that the primary source of funding was this was the British Heart Foundation and the Medical Research Council. They had additional funding from some companies, but the primary funding was this was this was not like a drugs. This was not like an industry sponsored study. So this was, you know, this was a. a a, a study that was spun and 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 uh, sort of, you know, there were just yeah, there was just tons of spin, but there wasn't, you know, it wasn't like an industry study. So it goes to the whole uh, intellectual conflict. So now maybe maybe it's still tied with with industry, but what are your thoughts on that? I mean, it's a good question. I think like many things in medicine, um, there's two types of conflict. You know, we say that, oh, there's the, there's a study run by BMS that's conflicted study run by Genentech that's conflicted. And then there's the NCCN guidelines that are written by 80, they're written by doctors who 85% of them take money from BMS and Genentech, but that's not conflicted. That's not conflicted. So, I mean, yes, this is uh, presumably a non-conflicted study, except all of the authors are conflicted. I mean, that's, you know, so, and the society's conflicted and, and so, I mean, you know, I used to use this analogy in, I think, one of the books we wrote about, you know, if you salt a piece of salmon, you can taste the side that has all the salt on it versus the side that doesn't have salt on it. Let's say the salt is the conflict. But if you soak the salmon in soy sauce for seven days and then you salt it on one side, you might not be able to taste the difference because the whole thing's been sitting in soy sauce. And sometimes it feels like medicine is sitting in soy sauce. I mean, we're just soaked in industry conflicts so that, you know, even the non-conflicted studies are not really non-conflicted. I don't know what it's like to have a something in medicine that the only people who touched it were people who never took money from pharma. I don't think, actually, I'll challenge you, John. I don't think there's a single randomized trial in the last 20 years where every single author never took money from pharma. I think every study, there's some contamination. I mean, there's some conflict. So we've never really had a, a baseline to know what to expect in that world. Yeah, yeah. Okay, let me ask you, I, 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 I when I think about it, when I th when I think about the soy sauce and how everything is just soaked in soy sauce, it just makes me depressed. But let me ask you: You say that journals aren't the aren't the aren't the standard because you know you have Lancet, you have New England, you have these just terribly terribly, I guess, flawed studies. All studies are flawed, but really flawed studies and people not accepting real time uh, letters to the editor, real time criticism. I mean, what? Then what the I mean, what is the, the, the standard? I mean, how, how what's the solution? What do you see in 10 years, for instance? You saw that I published that thing on Sensible Medicine about the preprints that we had posted and any preprint that's critical of Ro Rochelle Walensky or the CDC or masking toddlers or vaccinating young men. They were removing from these servers and they say, given the need to be cautious. SSRN has to take this down and MedRx says this isn't med this isn't research. Meanwhile, they've published, you know, things on SSRN that is, hey, we asked nine people in this community what they thought. Nine rando people. Like that's on SSRN. So yet yet our work is not scholarship. In other words, they have no I mean, what am I to think? Preprint service could be the could be the right answer, John, but they just can't have me censoring. I mean, you have to decide, are you a journal or are you a preprint server? If you're a preprint server, you don't get to pick and choose whether or not you like Rochelle Walensky and not take art. You know, you can't be so nakedly political and, and, and biased. You just have to publish everything and let the market decide. I do think 
that one of these days, somebody with some money is going to put in $100,000 to make a truly free preprint server. And that's going to that's gonna kill journals. Not SSRN, not Meta RxIV, but something really neutral where anything that gets upvoted maybe automatically turns into a Sensible Medicine article, like the most popular article of the week on the server automatically gets covered by Sensible Medicine or something like that. So people will read it. I mean, I think that's the solution. Let the market decide. Let people decide. Let scientists decide. Um, and journalists, uh, go ahead. You, I, I, I see the positives, but people are really going to people are really going to push back because things might get upvoted that are that are just as crazy as. Uh, ignoring a primary endpoint that's double. So, I mean, uh, do you really think science? I'm asking. I'm asking. No, no, no it's, a, it's a fair question. I mean, do you really think upvoting? Uh, how, how do you uh, uh, how do you deal with that? That's the, I don't. I actually don't know. I mean, at the end of the day, we're going to have to do what we've always done, which is use our brain. So we have to read it and think about it, and we're never going to get out. We're never going to get away from that. But I do think upvoting is different than the current system, because upvoting, at least, you know, the bias is visible. The bias is this is what people are, want to read. Maybe they want to read it for the wrong reason. Maybe they're told by a political leader to read it. Maybe they're, you know, misled. But that is what the majority of people want to read. Like if one person, one vote kind of upvoted. I mean, similarly, you know, we pick the president based on a vote. They could pick an imbecile. And and sometimes they do, you know, but but we at least acknowledge that that's how you do things in a democracy. So, you know, at least that's all transparent. It's just people voting. But the system we have now is very opaque. I mean, do you know how much money The Lancet took last year in re from reprints from different companies? They don't tell us. Do we know how much money everybody on that author list took from companies? We don't know. And so somebody is using is, is biased in the reporting of Rita too, but we don't know who it is and we don't know where the money is flowing. And so, I mean, neither is perfect. I'll give you that, but I'm not sure the current system. And this actually ties into the next thing I want to talk about. Okay. Okay. I mean, how can we take journals seriously when they're basically saying, you know, the journal is a democratic journal for Democrats? Because that's what these journals are saying. They've got articles about, you know, the Ukraine and they got articles about gun control and, and Roe v. Wade. And as a Dem, I mean, I am a Democrat too. So, okay, so I'm sympathetic to a lot of these articles, but it doesn't look good if the journal is openly partisan. What will anyone think um, when the journal is really taking stances on political issues? So what are we doing? What is going on? Let's talk about that. So what were the two journal articles you saw that you were, that made you cringe? Like, why are we even getting into this? Nuclear so, war. Yeah. What was it? Yeah. So the, the uh, JAMA, you know, Journal of American Medical Association publishes an editorial. Actually, I think it was in all the JAMA journals, uh, reducing the risks of nuclear war, the role of health professionals. So the 18 authors who are all editors in chief tell us that there's great danger from nuclear war and they urge health professionals to inform their members about the threat and join international <laughs> physicians for the prevention of nuclear war. Okay. All right. And that's one. And the other is uh, New England Journal published uh, editorial reducing healthcare's climate impact. And the two authors are pulmonary critical care, and the other is a psychologist. And and they they um, they 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 say that healthcare workers should be focusing on climate change. And Jesus of course, <laughs> these. But. And 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 I so I wrote about it and people wrote back like look John uh, some of the some of them was supportive like 
journalists shouldn't be into politically hot topic things, but others wrote back, look, nuclear war has a chance of killing a lot of people. That's a public health issue. <laughs> of so, course it does. Uh, yeah. Okay. Climate change. But, but my point is like, first of all, is the whole political leanings, right? So it, 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 I just see science as like a judge, as a, a, a the best judge. We should just be neutral. That's number yes. one. And the, the second point, uh, neutrality is one. The second point is that we have a great job, right? We have a great job. We 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 use our uh, ability to to create science and to use science and apply it to patients in front of us. And the things that we can do in 2023 are so much better than they were even 20 years ago. Uh, people with cancer are living for longer times. I mean, we have all of these things in cardiology. We 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 do a lot of great things, and it seems to me that should be that should be what we should be focused on getting better at, not trying to influence policy. Because when we influence policy, then we open up ourselves to bias. And I so I I just feel passionately that we we need to be neutral. I mean, I totally agree with you, and I think your the critics are are crazy in the sense. Okay, let's be honest. You're an electrophysiologist. Now, in 2016 to 2017, there was some probability of nuclear war. As an electrophysiologist, do you know the number? As an oncologist, I don't know the number. Now, in 2023, there's some probability of nuclear war. If somebody told me that it's a little bit higher because the Russia is fighting the Ukraine, uh, I would say, okay, I believe you. But do I know the number? No, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Now, do I think nuclear war would be bad for human health? I guess I do, because <laughs> I'm not an idiot. I don't, is there even, is there anybody who wants nuclear war besides like, you know, somebody who's like a, a literally a terrorist, you know, some anarchist, like a crazy person? No. What are we even, what are we even talking about? We don't know anything about the situation. No doctor knows shit about it. There's clearly a political divide. The Democrats want to continue to prop up the Ukraine. The Republicans want to cut the top, cut the fund. At least some of the Republicans do, you know, people maybe on the far right. Who knows the I don't know the right answer. I don't study foreign policy. Also, there's no data. You know, it's not the sort of thing that's amenable to scientific method. And it's hard not to read that article as sort of a veiled commentary about a political issue. It's so outside the wheelhouse of what doctors do. I mean, for Christ's sakes, we can't even stop mock the MOC. Nobody wants MOC. We cannot even stop MOC. But we're supposed to stop nuclear war. We don't know. We don't control it. Are you crazy? And you look like, I'm sorry, pardon my French. You look like a fucking idiot for publishing these articles. I'm sorry. You look crazy. What are you doing? These are journals. I want to read about heart failure and, and Tresto. Does it actually work at the dose we give? Where is that commentary? We're giving a dose that's different than the trial dose. Does it work? I don't see that commentary in the New England Journal. That's what I want to read. Instead, I read about whether or not we can stop nuclear war. I don't know. Can, are we going to stop an asteroid from hitting the earth in two years? And what about aliens coming? I mean, what the fuck are we? What is this? This is so crazy. And it's like these journals are making fools of themselves. Now, what was the other one? Or we can. The other you, one was the other one was climate crisis, which is okay. even which is which is also different, which is also problematic in so many ways, right? Because because uh, okay, we can we can we can possibly we can admit that the, the the Earth is warming, but there's all different ways of approaching it, right? So there's there's different policy solutions. It's like gun control. I use that example. Yeah, you know. Uh, if you're a trauma surgeon, you take care of trauma victims. Uh, but 
and and you can admit that gun policy or gun gun you know guns are a problem but there are different policy policy solutions and and how does how does you know fixing fixing trauma uh, uh inform your choice about about gun policy how do well, how does how does how does our ability we're in the, we're on the earth just like everybody else how do we any have any better solutions for climate policy and again it's another political issue because i'm listening to some of the people on the right their view is that the economic benefits outweigh whatever cost they see people on the left think otherwise it's a political question same as climate and what about cars i mean cars kill a lot of people it's going to be doctors against driving we should ride our bicycles which by the way i support I mean, I like to ride my bicycle too. You know, okay, I support environmentalism. I support these things, but I don't support them as a hemog doctor. I support them as a political citizen. And I don't think we should be muddling these two. And also, John, let's just be honest what's going on. We all know what's going on. I work at a university. We all know what's going on. The, basically, what we're saying in medicine is Republicans are not allowed to be doctors anymore. They're not allowed. You, you can't, you know, if you are again, if you support the Supreme Court's ruling in affirmative action, you can't be a doctor. You, you disagree? Ask Norman Wang. That was his crime. Norman Wang is not allowed to see. Tell, tell the story. Tell the story of Norman Wang briefly. Yeah. Norman Wang is an Asian EP doctor at University of Pittsburgh. Uh, by all accounts, he's like a, a sweet and nice guy. That's what people tell me. I don't know the guy. He writes an article that's published in a major cardiology journal, which is about the affirmative action history. He's critical of it. By the way, I disagree with him. Like, I don't even agree with the dude. I think it's fine to have, you know, whatever. It's not a, it's not a, uh, anyway, he, he thinks affirmative action as done is, um, you know, been used to discriminate against Asians, which by the way, apparently the Supreme Court thought so too. So he, he got vindicated. But when he published that article, there was such an outcry on social media that they stripped him of working with fellows. Um, and, you know, because he has an opinion on a political issue that, you know, liberals don't like and liberals like to cancel. And now it's not just going to be there. It's going to be if you disagree with the liberal point of view on climate change or nuclear war or the Ukraine or which, by the way, I don't even know if people disagree on nuclear war. I think everyone agrees nuclear war is a bad idea. But people how to how to handle Ukraine, people disagree how to handle climate change. People disagree how to hang, handle guns. People disagree the value of gun ownership. People disagree. You know, I don't own a gun and I'm never going to. But, you know, some people like it. OK, whatever. I don't understand it either. Um, so, you know, people disagree on these issues. But what we're really saying is that you cannot be on the conservative side of these issues and be a doctor. That's all they're saying. The New England Journal is saying that. And, and, and the Norman Wang thing says it to me. And so I'd rather just talk about that. And by the way, you, you know, you can't be a Republican and be a doctor because if you're a Republican, you're too stupid to get vaccinated. So you died of COVID-19. That's what the journal tells you. That's what the, they, basically if you're a Republican, you're the dumbest person on planet Earth. And they can put that in the journal and everyone can tweet hashtag leadership matters. That's what you know. Should we talk about that, too? It's all these are all linked issues, I think. Yeah, I, I it's really sad. It's it's it, it's really sad. Where where was that? Where? So this was you wrote about it. Did Republicans die more during a pandemic because they didn't get the vaccine? Oh, 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 the JAMA Internal Medicine. I paper. forgot that this was my favorite journal, JAMA Internal Medicine. JAMA, uh, JAMA Internal Medicine has had this reputation under Rita Redberg. She's not there anymore, but under Rita Redberg, I mean, they just published less is more. They published about overuse and overtreatment, overdiagnosis, and has really been a contrarian kind of a voice, voice of common sense. And then we get this observational study. And and it was, I have to say, I have to say it was disguised in a lot of, um, in, in a lot of technicalities that made it look pretty good. And, and you really dissected it and um, 
listed the problems. I think you listed uh, six major problems. There were probably more, but you know, I'm just a dummy, and I I realize that it's an it's it's an observational analysis looking at you know looking at things retrospectively, and there's confounding variables that are hard to control for and. My gosh, what a problematic study! And then, and then when you look at the altmetric score of who was, you know, who was promoting it at NPR. Um, many, many prominent voices on Twitter uh, uh, tweeting out. And and let me just say one thing to, to frame it for listeners. Okay, so prior studies have looked at whether or not counties that voted for Trump had higher rates of COVID nineteen mortality, excess death, excess mortality. Let's say that, and some studies show, yeah. And other studies show attitudes among Republicans versus Democrats towards COVID-19 vaccines show they're less likely to get it. Okay. The problem with those studies is these authors note that they're limited because of the ecological fallacy that just because something happens at the group level doesn't mean it's true at the individual level. And it, it can even be paradoxical associations. Like that data is very limited to draw causal conclusions. You can't look at that data and say Republicans died more because they're stupid anti-vaxxers. You couldn't say that. I mean, that would be wrong to say. So these authors step in. They say, hey, we're going to solve the problem. We're going to take voter records in Ohio and Florida. We're going to link your voter registration to whether or not you lived or died of COVID-19, your excess mortality. And we're going to link it to your vaccination records too. So we know all those three data points. Oh, I'm sorry. They couldn't link it to vaccination records because they don't have that data. So already to start off the bat, you're saying the other literature is flawed because you can't link individual people. And you're you're starting off knowing you don't have vaccination data per person, which is so fucking stupid. Why are you even doing the study? Just link the vaccination. If you're going to do it, do it right. Okay, that's one. Two, when you try to link people in, uh, I don't know about you, but I don't think I've ever been registered in any political party. I don't. I got better things to do. And in fact, most people aren't in political parties so much so. There's like 40 million people in those two states. They're able to link 500,000 people, which is just a tiny fraction of people. So already, you don't know if what you're seeing is true for every Democrat and every Republican or whoever voted for Trump or not. You just know it's true for people they can link. That's very small data, okay? Then they start, then it gets even worse. That's sampling they, error, right? Oh, it's, it could be a huge sampling error. I mean, it could be a huge selection bias slash sampling error. We don't know. We don't know because we don't know who you can link. And also, they have a thing with names. My name is Vinayak Persad. Your name is John Mandrola. What if your name is John Smith? John Smith is much harder to link than Vinayak Prasad, okay? Because there's more John Smiths. But Vinayak Prasad's, you know, might be more likely to vote for Democrats. And, you know, Barack Obama's may be more likely to vote for Democrats than John Smith's. I mean, I don't know the answer, you know what I mean? But, but I'm making the point that once you start to have this sort of weak linkage problem, which they do, it may be biased in a political direction you don't even know. Then they have so many more problems. That's just the tip of the iceberg, John. I don't even want to go through all the problems, but suffice it to say, if you read this paper and it wasn't Republicans, if it was Latinos die more of COVID-19 or Blacks die more of COVID-19 because they didn't get vaccinated more, which also surveys do suggest that that's true. If you read the same paper about poor people or about Indian Americans or about um, people who like to wear tank tops, okay? Like you're wearing a tank top. If you, if you read it about any group of people other than Republicans, people would say, this is shitty research. You didn't prove it. It's also kind of uh, bigoted. Like, why are you picking on Blacks or picking on Latinos or picking on poor people? Um, you haven't adjusted for all these other things. You're, the way you've done time is a mess. Um, it would never be published. The only reason it's published, in my opinion, is that it's okay 
to take a crap on Republicans. Like, it's okay. Like, we want to do that. We want to say they are stupid. And that's what people said. That's what the prominent accounts tweeting it said. But this is JAMA internal medicine. Yeah. It's like it's a pinnacle of, of, of medical science and, and putting this out and then looking at, looking at who promotes this and how, how are we ever going to have people trust a medical profession if we choose one side, whatever side we choose? It, it boggles my mind. I mean, my prediction is it's going to backfire severely. Like, if you were a Republican watching this happen, you are going to come into office and you're going to destroy social media companies and journals. Like you're going to you're going to pass some laws that make it very difficult for these journals to be independent because they appear to be uh, not independent. And so um, I do think it's going to backfire pretty severely. Here, here's another example of an eye. Anytime um, an athlete dies suddenly uh, on, on the court or on a soccer pitch or whatever, uh, and it gets out on Twitter, it just goes crazy that people, like millions of people think it's due to the vaccine. Now, it's almost certainly not due to the vaccine, but the fact that people think it is, is just, I think, an indication of loss of trust. That's absolutely right. I mean, you know, because we, we had something we hold on, we had sudden yeah. cardiac death in athletes long before there was COVID-19 and long before there were mRNA vaccines. So I mean, there are always there are always athletes are gonna die on the pitch or die and suddenly it's a terrible thing. There should be more AEDs, of course. That's the solution. But just the fact that anytime any person dies, it the vaccine gets blamed. This is crazy. And and it's, I think it's a I think it's like a surrogate for the loss of trust that we have. It's so it's so true, John. I mean that you're putting your nail on the head. Every time there's an anecdote of somebody dying, they tweet it in part because they can't tweet that, you know, maybe we shouldn't be giving perpetual boosters to 20 years men. That's been censored. So they can tweet these anecdotes. People are overinterpreting the anecdotes. Obviously, the plural of anecdote is not data, it's garbage. I mean, you know, it's it's jam internal medicine's paper on Repu you know, the plural of anecdote is not useful information. Um that's a problem. And John actually you know, I think that ivermectin, vitamin D, all this nonsense, that's a that's also a consequence of trust. Like, I don't know. Um, I have to admit, my view of the, the establishment policies on vaccines was they got things wrong. They didn't vaccinate older people the way they could have if they were more honest. And they over-vaccinated young people and they ignored the safety signal of harm. They didn't give a shit about VIT and they didn't give a shit about it, myocarditis and they delayed a year before they spaced out the doses. They've done such a negligent job on young people. To this day, the UK's guidance for the fall is not to vaccinate healthy young people, but Ashish Jha is tweeting as if it's going to come. So, you know, they've done such a bad job on young people. People, doctors know that, you know, people know that. And it's leading to this loss of trust. When you squeeze a balloon, you don't know where the air comes out. And that's what, that's what you see with these anecdotes of, you know, basketball player drops dead. As you say, that happened in 1997. Was it the vaccine? Wasn't it the vaccine? I don't know. But what I do know is it's probably not a good idea to vaccinate every 19-year-old uh, in the fall with a new vaccine, with new COVID vaccine. They probably don't need it. The UK advisors agree with me. This administration disagrees because they're, you know, living in Albert Borla's guest house, you know, uh, and he's happy to do it. Um, this is a problem. It's a big problem. We can't talk about the issue that matters, which is our vaccination policies. We're distracted by anecdotes and ivermectin and useless things like that, um, I don't know what to think.
it's a problem. Yeah, but also I think it also transcends even even COVID policy. It transcends into people not taking a a, a drug that might benefit them. Like uh, uh, you've had a PCI and a and a stent, and and you have coronary disease or a prior ischemic stroke, and you refuse to take statins because of because of a loss of trust in in, in that. And um, uh, I just I don't know. I think if we were more neutral, we would we would garner we would garner more trust amongst people if we were more humble. And I I just don't see why that isn't the road forward. I guess I would say on this topic, my view of the whole thing is. Um, when it comes to the climate article in New England Journal to the Republicans thing, is that uh, that that politics is corrupting medicine. I mean, medicine was supposed to be separate. And people don't even know, listening to this, what you and I are full political views are, because I think they're probably going to be heterodox. They're like sometimes on the left, sometimes on the right. It's all over the place. We don't make our political views known. People assume they know what I think. Then they tell me what they assume, and I tell them that's actually not even close to what I think. You have no clue what I think. Um, that's how it should be, actually, because when the patient comes in my office, it doesn't matter if he's wearing a Trump hat or a Hillary hat. He's going to get excellent care. It shouldn't matter if he's white or black or who he voted for or how much money he has or uh, if it's a man or a woman or a transgender individual. It doesn't matter. You know, uh, They're all welcome in my office, and I worry that, we are, that this, this train has already left the station. All of these things are manifestations of the rot, which is that the left is hijacking newspapers and healthcare um, because they have the majority of the people. I mean, NPR is, you know, it's a left-leaning group of people and the University of California is a left-leaning group of doctors. And it's a mistake though. It's going to blow up big time and I don't know where we're going to be. It's, it's very destabilizing for society. And I think that's why we talk about it because we, we lament that. Yeah, hopefully one of the, one of one of the visions that I have with sensible medicine and, and also just Substack in general is that, you know, we and 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 what others in Substack are doing is is giving rationality uh, a voice, a, a place, you know, people can go there and and go to that place and and read uh, diverse opinions uh, because science science has to be that. Um, uh, we have to have that. I think patients trust you in the office and they trust me in the office or Adam in the office because they know that we're we're acting as a neutral judge, not as a not as, you know, no, a, as a biased partisan. And because you're up to date on MOC. That's what <laughs> that's another matter. I just oh, my gosh, I, I'm glad that it's got some momentum. I really am glad that Aaron Goodman and uh, has helping Wes and. Uh, I'm really glad. My 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 issue with the medic uh, with the maintenance of certification and the ABIM monopoly is I'm struggling how to make the case to the regular people. I mean, why would anybody outside of medicine care about this? And this is the most difficult thing for me because I don't think anything changes if it's just uh, rich doctors trying to fight uh, uh, to to pay less for their certified medical education. Yeah, I uh, completely agree with you. That um... all right. So, how are you going to make the case to regular person? I actually struggle with that too, John, because at the end of the day, it's rich doctors getting bled a little bit of money. Um, the only case I see for the regular person is it's just part of the. We all have to jump through hoops in life, 
that make no sense and are pointless. And the less of those hoops, the better. Those hoops are made by rent seekers, of which Rich Barron, Rich Barron is one of the worst offenders. And yes, this is some burden placed on rich people. And there are other burdens placed on poor people, like, I don't know, I don't know if you if you get a payday loan, I'm sure that's predatory. And, you know, the way they do traffic tickets is unfair. Like, you know, if you run a red light and you're poor, that ticket is way more expensive to you than it is to a, a rich person. So that's not fair. Um, so people, you know, the system is predatory. And and why do they have all these, you know, speed cameras? It's not for safety. It's just so that the, the district can make a little bit of money. You know, they don't want to increase taxes. So they just make more speed cameras, which is like a tax that's implemented at random on, you know, in an annoying way. Um, so it's hard to me to make the case to lay people. But I do think it is a bad system, this MOC. It's annoying. I mean, the only case to make to lay people is, look, if you keep mistreating doctors, you're not going to have as many doctors and doctors are quitting and good doctors are quitting and they're all going to pharma and they're all going to whatever. Um, if you want to have doctors, you know, enough of the Washington Post articles about how $350,000 a year is too much, you know, uh, by the way, that was household income, not into, you know, so they're criticizing our salaries, you know, look, it's still, it's still a great job. Um, but we have to make it desirable so we get the best people. And we do suffer for 10 years. I don't see anyone else going 30 hours without sleep all the time. Um, and, you know, I don't see them doing it. And so it is some suffering. There should be some compensation on the other end. Um, and uh, but, yeah, that's that's my best thoughts. What do you think? Yeah, I think that if 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 you could if if ABIM really did improve the quality of, of medical care. And it really did test the quality of physicians. Everybody wants a good quality physician. And, and, but these, these, the, the thing that was, uh, the, the Chadi had on his podcast, the healthcare unfiltered was that you could, you could pass the board exam at, you could be out in practice and pass the 10 year exam and you're board certified. And then next year, if you don't pay a fee and do these 20 or 30 questions, then they label you as as not board certified, and that just seems so arbitrary and so so poisonous that 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 is possible. And I, I guess I guess most of it is on us to push our professional organizations to represent us rather than other things. But so many of our professional organizations have agreements to sell educational materials for the maintenance of certification. So again, it brings conflicts of interest into the into the discussion um yeah it's it's i i don't i don't i don't know how to make the case that a regular person but it is an awful thing it's awful and the other thing that's linked to this is it's another example of where doctors who don't see patients tell doctors who see patients what to do which is offensive it's offensive when they said their hospital readmission you know what is that hr that hospital readmission policies for medicare it's offensive when they set their little benchmarks of what percent need mammograms and the internist who has to do the list of all the preventive medicine, you know, it takes 27 hours a day to do it. It's offensive when Rich Barron creates a new $50 million a year program to pay for his salary, you know, like ridiculous. It's, it is a parasitic, um, you know, it is, it's a, pro I mean, it is a problem like the administrative the, the, the state. Other, yeah. The, the other thing, the other thing that came up in this discussion on Twitter was that one of the reasons why it can happen is because 
uh, so many doctors are now employed by physicians. And so they've become employees that have really little choice and little, little voice. Whereas when I started practice, there were most, most cardiologists had their own private practice and we actually had a voice and power. Um, but, but now the employed model has sort of taken that away. And, and I actually think that has not been good for the profession either. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. I think, uh, the glory days of being a doctor was when you were your own boss and that's increasingly not the case. But still, uh, we'll close on a positive. We'll yes, that it, it's still a, it's still a great job. Yeah, even even if you, even with all of that, uh, we still get to help people and 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 use our our skill and our education to help people. And I think it's I I, I know this sounds kind of like a platitude, but it is a very meaningful job. Uh, and and maybe this whole episode should end on a positive note, which is like, you know, all of these things we're talking about. It's not too late. I think it's not it's not too late to make medicine great for physicians and patients. It's not too late to um, make medical journals focus on medicine. You know, the public will come back and regain trust if you let go of, if you say it's okay for a Republican to be a doctor, it's okay. They don't, we don't all have to be Democrats. You know, we could have a few Republican doctors. It's okay that you don't agree with your patient about climate change, but you still refill their blood pressure medicine. And it's also okay not to even ask them their opinion. That's okay too. You know, you don't have to put your nose in everything. Um, you know, it's okay to not have an opinion on the Ukraine war as an electrophysiologist. That's okay. You know, uh, it, it, pretty soon the mock questions will just be about this. You know, should the United States provide $40 billion in payments to the Ukraine? Uh, uh, should Hunter Biden uh, go to a special prosecutor? Question mark. Uh, and of course, the mock answer is uh, no. You know, I mean, it's like it's going to be a political answer. I mean, we have to stop that. It's getting too far. Um, but it's also evident, I think, I mean, the softer version of that is, you know, the people who are. I'm not the chair of the department, but I think it would be a little weird to be the chair of the department and then tweeting about who you're voting for. Um, you know, I mean, I, I don't know. And if, and you know, I, I, if my patients would probably be, it would be a little weird. And so I prefer to keep it ambiguous. Um, so, you know, everyone's a free citizen, but at the end of the day, medicine is still the best job. And someday I do think it's going to get better. Yeah. Well, regression to the mean, right? I mean, yeah. it's bad, so it's got to get better. Got to get better. Well, John, it's a pleasure doing this. Great to see right. you. We'll be back. Uh, you'll be back with a special guest show next week yep. with, Bo with Bobby Ye, where you're going to talk about observational studies. And then we'll be back in two weeks to talk more. Until then. Excellent.